0: America's webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you
1: hello america and welcome to our fourth episode of turning point usa radio i am your host Bree binder and we are recording with stephanie conway who's one of our regional directors for turning point usa and she's on the line hey stephanie hey Bree. thanks for having me anytime anytime um thanks for coming on the show so we are going to talk today a little bit about the shootings in Charleston, and um, just kind of how we feel about it. Get some different perspectives, things like that. So, if you have any ideas on it, okay. Um, I mean, it depends on the direction. You <laughs> depends the direction you want to go with it. There's been a lot of different things that came of it the discussion of mental illness was raised again and then the politicization of tragedies of course has happened again and then we have the issue with the confederate flag and should it or should it not be flown over state houses or government places should it be accepted is it a symbol of the confederacy or is it a symbol of oppression so there's a lot of different angles to go at and it's a very complex issue in itself the shooting and the things that have come from it so the question really becomes where do you look at it from what kind of stance do you take and do you base it on the shooting itself or the things that have erupted in conversation and discussion in the media across the country as a result of it right um i guess since we both are living in texas and we see that pretty often with the confederate flag you know what is your take on all that it's a kind of a difficult issue i think to look at when you're not distinctly from the south i'm from new england i look at the confederate flag and kind of i don't have an emotional attachment to it i'm not a southerner i don't have family that fought in the confederacy or anything like that but i have met and spoke with plenty of people who look at the confederate flag and they see it as a symbol of telling the federal government that you can't tell us what to do we're going to do what we want to do it's a symbol of the dissolution of the union rather than a symbol of slavery but then you talk to other people who look at it and they say yeah but the reason they didn't want to be part of the union was because of slavery so it it's a perspective-based thing, and I think when you have a national conversation about the Confederate flag, you end up in kind of an emotional turmoil with the different people that you're speaking with. For some, it really is a, my grandfather fought in this war, or my great-grandfather fought in this war, and I look at the Confederate flag as a symbol of what he was fighting for in the place that he loved instead of slavery itself. How do you feel about the political candidates or the, you know, the GOP candidates running for office um weighing in on the matter there's several have who have come out and said you know we want it gone several have said you know it's a state issue um does that play a role in picking who you plan on voting for in 2015 not for me you know for some people it will for the candidates who are saying something about it, it's a political ploy it's a chance to get your opinion out there in a way that's not so controversial, you know, to say that you want the flag to continue flying is a little bit more controversial than saying, oh, we should take it down. You know, Mitt Romney was really safe in saying, I don't think that they should fly the flag because it is a symbol of oppression to some, because there's nothing factually incorrect about that statement. It is a Mm -hmm. symbol of oppression to many. So it was the Mm -hmm. safest thing you could possibly say. To say it's a state issue, you're still safe. To say, I think they should be able to fly it, that's when you get in trouble, and that's not what we're really hearing from anyone. So this is just an opportunistic grab at a little bit of press coverage in a way that nobody could yell at you. Isn't saying it's like a state issue kind of saying like, you know, I'm in, you know, Florida, or I'm in Texas, and I'm running for, you know, whatever, And but it's okay to fly it. You know, it's, it's just a state issue. Is that kind of the same Uh, Not necessarily, because by saying it's a state issue, you could still be disagreeing with it. You could be saying, you know, I don't agree with flying that flag. I don't believe in what it stands for. However, I do believe in the sovereignty of the states. And so you're still appealing to a large amount of people and kind of saying, in essence, it can be interpreted, that people within that state would vote against it as a symbol of oppression or slavery. So it's still a safe statement because you're not really saying anything the state can choose to fly or not to fly that flag you haven't taken a side how do you feel about you know this is another issue it's being turned into possibly an issue of race right where a white man you know hurt black people um how do you feel about all of these issues turning into race issues or is it a race issue It's still early in this one. I mean, the evidence that's coming out now any news article that you look at and the different things that we're learning about the shooter point towards that it was a race issue. But the tendency in this country, especially within the last six months to a year, has been to immediately jump to race if the victims were black and Mm -hmm. the shooter was white. And that's not an excuse to any kind of violent act or anything at all. It's the media taking a message and spinning it the way that it wants to. We have an administration that works with people who actively seek to divide people and split up the country in various ways, whether it's covert or open, and you don't call things race wars or constantly blame one race and then ignore black-on-black crime, and expect it to not send a message. It does send a message. But when we look at the information that's coming out about the shooter, Dylan Roof, he does have a lot of Racist statements out there, racist connections, uh, apartheid, apartheid passes, patches on his jacket that he's seen photographed wearing. So it's entirely possible this is racially motivated. The problem, it comes in, well, being racially motivated in itself is an issue, but a bigger problem comes in that a lot of people are going to look at this, and because of the way the media has chosen to constantly spin the narrative into racism regardless of whether racism played a part is that people are becoming desensitized in a way so you're going to hear this is racism and you're going to shrug your shoulders and say yeah of course it is thanks obama and it might actually be and it's looking to actually be a real racially charged issue so by kind of playing the media Are we taking away from the realities of racism and the problems that it does cause and what Charleston is facing now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, You know, I think I've read some issues or some articles that have said, you know, um, maybe it wasn't a race issue, maybe it was, you know, he just hated Christians. Um, What do you feel about that? Do you think it's like a, a religious war? touching on that too i don't see anything really religious in a lot of the articles coming out there's a lot of speculation and that's probably the biggest killer of facts ever in our media cycle is everybody has a blog and everybody has access to posting their articles and different types of quote-unquote news sources that accept just write-ins or people sending them an article and they're like oh this is well written i'm going to put it up And that's where you get a lot of misinformation from, and everybody likes to come up with their own ideas that they think are groundbreaking and new and innovative. But for it to be totally apart from race just doesn't match the information that we're finding out about him. It is confusing because he has black friends. Some of the people talking about him were African-American, and he's written things that are very adamantly against African-Americans. He's written things having to do with segregation. He's joked horrible things about the deaths of black people looking to start some kind of race war. So the speculation surrounding everything is creating a problem because now we're looking for excuses. We're looking for, well, how about this? Well, how about that? And that seems to be what we do with these shooters is we try to blame something other than their own sadistic minds, that there's a problem in him no matter what. You don't go someplace, open fire Mm -hmm. on people, kill nine people, and then try to leave one alive saying you need to talk about this or tell what happened here without there being some kind of wiring problem in the brain. And whether that's medical, psychological, or just him as a person being sick, that's what we need to focus on. He, like, took the time to sit down and, like, meet his victims. And he, like, stayed at that Bible study for, like, a couple hours, I want to say, before he opened fire. And that's, like, crazy. That's super mentally, you know, something's wrong in your brain. This boy had some wires crossed somewhere. They were shooting off wrong, and that's not a societal problem. We always want to look to how can we fix this, and there's some people you can't fix. Some people are monsters, and I would be willing to say that somebody who could sit in a church for at least an hour, going through worship with people, and then just kill them. And it looks pretty remorseless. He's not feeling bad about it. You don't see him saying, oh, I wish I didn't do this, or I had some kind of snap, or something went wrong. It's, he did it. He's glad he did it, he de- or he doesn't feel anything about it. And that case could potentially be even more disturbing, because now you have someone who doesn't respond emotionally right. as a human, as we would expect. To this kind of violence there's some problems that we can't fix and as a society we need to accept that and learn how to handle those monsters rather than constantly try to avoid that there are in fact monsters how do you feel about um you know this bringing it back to kind of obama's um you know war against guns almost you know he has this whole agenda trying to you know limit the amount of um guns control What do you think about that? You know, every politician, we like to harp on Obama for it, but every single politician is guilty of taking a tragedy and trying to turn it into something for their narrative or that fits their policy agenda or that will help them to spread their message. We saw it after Sandy Hook when Obama spoke, and he lined up all the families behind him. We see it every time there's a shooting, every time there's a tragedy. Anytime you could fill a stage with people that can make a nation sympathetic, They're going to do it. The problem is it's become so normal and accepted and unchallenged is that you could do it the same day. People are still grieving. Mm -hmm. The place is still Mm -hmm. being cleaned up. We're still getting the information. You don't know everything yet, and now you're turning it into a political message about gun control. If you have nothing other than tragedy and riding emotional waves to support your agenda, then is it really one worth pursuing? And then he comes out with a claim that we don't see this in other countries. And you can go through Facebook right now, I don't have anything up at present, and people are just loading it up with other mass killings in places where they have strict gun control laws. Look at Detroit and Chicago. Gun control does not work. You have to look at a different answer. And if you continue to use tragedy without waiting for facts, then you're going to pin yourself into a corner that looks like Chicago or Detroit where you just see gun crime increasing. Connecticut passed SB 1160 after Sandy Hook. Nothing in that piece of legislation would have changed anything about Sandy Hook. It changes the way that legal gun owners obtain their legal firearms. Adam Lanza stole the firearms from his mother from a locked safe that she kept them in and opened fire. Even the weapons that he used weren't addressed in the gun legislation that passed after the fact. So is gun control really the answer when we can't count on our legislators to even write a piece that would have anything to do with the tragedies that they're writing off of? I think that's a great question, and, you know, I think people who who want to commit crimes and want to do these things are going to commit them anyway, um, and they'll go whatever means necessary to get their hands on a weapon, you know. Um, so that's a really great point you bring up. Um Thank you so much, Stephanie, for coming on. Um, Excellent debate, excellent questions, excellent answers. Um, Up next, we have another really fun guest. Um, It's going to be Carmen Foskey, and we look forward to seeing you then. Talk
2: to you later. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org. Or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients
1: dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org.
2: Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you.
0: This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Hey, America, and welcome back
1: to our fourth episode of Turning Point USA radio. Um, I'm your host, Brie Binder, and we are here with Carmen Foskey, who um, is the field program officer for Turning Point USA. She is responsible for coordinating the high school chapter program, building and organizing the college chapter program, and engaging our campus activists. She has previously worked with various local, regional, and statewide campaigns helping to organize and mobilize volunteers and activists. She will be attending Brown University this fall because she is a genius and will be continuing her political work in Providence, Rhode Island. I have nothing but the best, you know, most complimentary things to say about Carmen. She's one of our, you know, most competent people on the team and I'm so excited to have her on the show. Hey, Carmen. Hey, Marie, thanks for that introduction. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Um, So, Brown University, how excited are you? I am very excited. I'll tell you, though, I am walking into Lionston, heading up northeast to an Ivy League school. Uh, Brown is consistently rated one of the most liberal schools in America, and so I have my work cut out for me. Definitely. You're going to change the minds of many, huh? That's the plan, at least. (laughs) Well, you do so much for Turning Point USA, and um, you know you were all over the place organizing and and being, you know, as just awesome as you have ever been during our Young Women's Leadership Conference um, or Young Women's Leadership Summit. I mean, and um, why don't you give us a little bit of a recap of what happened and all the awesome things that we accomplished? i definitely be happy to. So, uh, as you mentioned, we just finished, wrapped at our Young Women's Leadership Summit, brought over 125 young female activists from across the country to Chicago, Illinois, and we gave them training on how to be a good activist, how to communicate and articulate the conservative message, and how to approach policy policy debates. We heard from so many fantastic speakers, from the absolutely fantastic Joe Walsh to Rachel campos Steffi and Alicia Krause, just a, a fantastic lineup, and it's been really neat to see the, the change in the girls from the time they applied for the summit, the time they arrived in Chicago for the training, and now that they're actually heading back out into the field, back to their college campuses, back to their communities. And they now have the knowledge and the resources and the opportunities to actively that West and promote conservative principles. Even just looking at their Facebook statuses, you know, from then and now, it's It's amazing, and and they're so charged up. They're so excited. They're so motivated to go out and do good change in their communities, and so it's really cool to see that. It definitely is, and I I think you hit the nail on the head. They have that energy. They have that excitement, Uh, but the reason this conference was so important for them is we gave them a way to channel that energy. Uh, We told them how they can uh, effectively use that excitement and uh, that the dynamicness that they bring to the table and how they can tr- translate that into change on their campuses, whether that's high school or college. Definitely. And what's so cool about it, you know, I spoke with a lot of them last week, some of them were on the show, and one of the questions I asked was, hey, how did you, you hear about this? Why did you want to go to this summit? Um, how did you want to get involved? And so many of them said, you know well you reached out to me on twitter or i saw your facebook post or it was some sort of social media driven you know recruitment tool that we use and so it's taking these these girls who might not even you know be really politically motivated um or involved and giving them this crash course and then now to see the turnovers, it's awesome Oh no! You, you are one hundred percent correct. Uh, I've had similar conversations where they said it was our social media efforts that engaged them. And for a uh, for a movement, a conservative movement who is stigmatized and old, and, and we aren't able to use social media effectively, we can't engage with young voters. Uh, we just obliterated that, and we said not only are we going, not only are we going to engage young voters. We're going to reach out to them on social media, and we're going to reach out to young women. We're going to actively engage young conservative women so that they can, in turn, go and engage other young conservative women as well. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have any interactions with students that really stood out to you or were really eye-opening throughout the conference? Yes. I could tell you so many examples of, of girls who just blew me away. I think the funnest part for me, we were... We had gone into the city of Chicago, and we took school buses in. And, you uh, know, there's just something nostalgic about riding on a school bus and uh, talking to <laughs> there There's a group of us in the back of the school bus who were just talking about um, our futures. And uh, since I am going to college in the fall, I have not been yet. I could really relate to the girls as they were trying to chart their course and as they are trying to figure out how they wanted to um, move forward. And there were four of us back there. And each young woman had very different path in mind. They all wanted to be engaged in politics. But uh, one girl wanted to go into journalism. One wanted to campaign. One wanted to focus on the policy side of things. And one wanted to be a businesswoman and just get involved in politics um, at a local level. And what was so impressive about that is that each of these girls had taken the time to think through, uh, to critically think through what they wanted to do when they grew up, how they could best contribute to politics and they were actively putting these things in place so that they could achieve their goals and these folks who were 16 to 22 years old it, it, it just blew me away that they were so mature so put together and that they had these goals they were they were reaching for definitely so you know you're a you're a young lady yourself um a young woman in politics if you will how how did you get involved how did you you know seek out turning point usa yeah, so I had a teacher in high school who really pushed me to become involved in politics. Uh, he had uh, lined me up with an internship with our local congressman, and after that, I was 100% hooked. Uh, I actually was engaged with Turning Point USA via social media as well. I wanted the mm-hmm. staffers it, uh, contacted me, and uh, it was a crazy turn of events. I went from working in Georgia to moving to Pennsylvania to work on campuses in that area, and then now I'm back in Georgia helping with the field program, and so it's it's been a very interesting ride. I absolutely love Turning Point USA, and I'm excited to see so many other people um, realizing the importance of our message and how how well it's resonating with students across the nation. Definitely, your story, hearing how you came to Turning Point USA, is one of my favorite stories, and it just is such a testament to how you know we just capitalize on great um talent when we see it and i'm pretty sure wasn't it like the day of or something crystal calls you we're all in in chicago for training and crystal is like running around and she's like i just hired someone she flies out tomorrow and we're like (laughs) what this is staff training like huh (laughs) to catch everybody up on uh, how this happened i'd recently finished up a campaign that i was working on in louisiana and I was actively seeking for another political job, and uh, one of the staffers reached out to me on Facebook. And I had asked if there were any available positions, and this was probably at midnight, the night before staff training started. So I emailed Crystal, who's notorious for being up late working, and at like one a.m. Oh, yeah. I like, response back saying, "Can you do an interview at eight a.m.?" So I spoke with Crystal, spoke with Charlie, and you are very correct. That next day, unless. 24 hours I was in Chicago for staff training in less than a week I had moved to Pennsylvania so Turning Point is such a fast-moving fast-paced organization that that's kind of par for the course (laughs) yeah what did what it what was said what was you know so engaging that made you want to just kind of drop everything and join our team Um, I had spent some time working on campaigns before that, and one thing I struggled with was engaging youth. I had found a few interns and a few volunteers from college campuses, and they were the best workers, the hardest workers. They really had a good grasp on conservatism. But expanding outside of that small, core group was difficult, and Turning Point proposed a solution to that problem. And while we are 501c3 and we don't campaign and we don't endorse candidates, uh, we to have an incredibly strong army of grassroots activists who are between the ages of 15 to 24 and they're willing to work they're willing to have their boots on the ground or as one of our speakers said at the Young Women's Leadership Summit, our heels on the ground uh, they're, they're, willing, <laughs> they're willing to do that hard work and the fact that Turning Point is able to effectively engage them and activate them is something absolutely stellar and outstanding and, wouldn't want to be a part of any other organization. Definitely. I got made fun of the other day for being on campus with heels. Um, I, I think it was one of our male staffers that were like, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be funny if you went on campus with heels? And I was like, you bet your bottom, I do. You know, at <laughs> 5'2, I got to see people in the face. So heck yeah, heels on the ground. But you got to look at <laughs> the while being an activist. I'm all with you on that, Bree. Definitely, definitely. Um, so, so what was, your, what was your favorite speaker? I mean, you mentioned Joe Wall. He is one of my favorites. He's so energetic, so fun. Um, but who else really stood out to you? So there are two people who I absolutely loved, uh, Rachel Campos Steffi and Foster Freeze. And I think if I could pick two very different people, it would be the two of them. <laughs> uh, Rachel is extremely young and dynamic, energetic. She has a fantastic story. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. She was on The Real World about 15, 20 years ago. And she was... <laughs> She was? Yeah, she was. Perfect, yeah. And she just brings such a great energy to the conservative movement and was so relatable. And I, I just ate up everything she said. And on the very opposite end of the spectrum was Boston mm-hmm. free, this extremely distinguished and stately gentleman who has years of business and political experience under his belt. And he covered a time management of all things, something I know I can definitely benefit from. And so between the two of them, uh, I really, really enjoyed what they had to say. That's awesome. Yeah, Rachel Combo-Stuffy, she was fantastic. She she really drove some really cool points home, and, you know, I just thought she was great. But the coolest part, for me at least, was um, when Sarah Palin, Gave us a shout out on her Facebook page. That was awesome. Yes, yes. I think she said something along the lines of, uh, "Hey, folks, so women don't need government to succeed," and it was the most Sarah Palin thing she could say, and it was absolutely classic. <laughs> <fantastic. laughs> yeah, she was. Um, I was talking to one of my more liberal friends, and they were like, "I had to reread it three times because it said not your not your mother's feminism," and I was just so confused because you know, feminism is such, like, a liberal ideology, so what? <laughs> and we're seeing that being challenged in so many ways uh, because we have um, a presidential candidate on the left who is a woman and who is definitely hammering mm-hmm. at home. Uh, we also have a presidential candidate on the right who is redefining feminism. And so I, mm-hmm. I think that between, uh, between that candidate and the work that Turning Point USA is doing to engage women in politics, uh, we're definitely seeing those demographics and those statistics change. Definitely. Um, it should be really, really exciting to see everybody um, and what their positions are coming out in the debates, and just kind of see how that goes. Um, do you have a political front-runner right now for the 2016 debate? I don't know if I'm allowed to close but I definitely favor Carly Fiorina. Arena. I like her quite a bit. That's awesome. Yeah, I think she's, she brings a, an interesting perspective, and I think even if maybe she doesn't win i think she we had talked about this i think she you know is doing kind of the grunt work for you know somebody who might win so um that you that uh, whatever candidate does not win still brought a very necessary component to the conversation and i think that probably definitely holds that role definitely well thank you so much carmen for coming on the show um up next we have anna scott marsh who is one of our scholarship winners and it should be a really fun conversation so we'll see you in a little bit
3: watchdog is a term given an organization like the united states justice foundation which since 1979 has been watching out and when necessary taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights usjf A non-profit organization is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government as well as those involved in legal cases have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you.
0: This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to our fourth episode of Training Point USA Radio. Um, I'm your host, Bree Binder, and we are here with the, the one and only Anna Scott Marsh. Um, this is our Northern Illinois Patriot Scholarship winner from the Young Women's Leadership Summit. Um, she is from Greensburg, Greensboro, North Carolina. And will be a student at Furman University, which is the most liberal ever, um, <laughs> crazy school. She's double majoring in neuroscience and political science. Um, mm-hmm. Granted, she is she is like super tall and blonde and super cute and being <laughs> It's crazy. Um, she attended CPAC for the last three years and also conferences with the Young Americans. Or er, YAF, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the American Foundation. Yeah, um, and when she's not busy following politics, she's usually playing volleyball or out on the lake. Sounds awesome. Um, she played for junior national Nash- uh, junior Olympic national team for two years, and um, this was her first time attending anything with Turning Point. So we're so excited to have her on. Hey, Anna. I'm so excited to be here, Thank you for having me. Oh, anytime. Um, so tell us a little bit, you know, about yourself. I gave you a little bit of an intro, but, um, tell us about what you wrote, um, for this Northern Illinois Patriot Scholarship and how, you know, tell us about your scholarship that you won. Okay, yeah, um, so politics are a topic I've taken a great interest in the last couple of years. You know, I, I grew up with a dad who previously worked for Jesse Helms, the center in North Carolina, um, so government and elections were always Pretty much widely discussed in my house, and after Obama was elected for the first time, and our country began to tank, um, my interest in everything political began to quickly skyrocket. And at such a young age, um, I began to see the giant holes that Obama was digging our country into, and that was very terrifying for me, who was in middle school at the time. And you know, I'm I'm Emily, seventeen. I've already attended CPAC three times. I've taken it like, fully paid um, trips to California for conservative leadership conferences. I've also been an ambassador for um, a nonprofit called Free Think You, and I'm getting in debates with liberals all the time. So these are many things that, you know, other 17-year-old seniors in high school or who have just graduated graduated cannot say. So a lot of the time, like, if you ask someone who's 17 about certain issues, like tax reform or affirmative action or um, small government, which Turning Point loves, um, our talent programs—they they they'll honestly like have no idea what you're talking about, and I have a lot of friends who are that way. I have I cannot talk about anything um, political with them because it completely goes over their head. Oh my gosh, so, definitely, which is awful. <laughs> so and that's why that's why I love like the, the um, young women's leadership task week because it's so awesome to be able to like sit down with other girls my age and talk about politics, and they know exactly what I'm talking about. But yeah, and kind of um, sit down and, like, and nerd out with them and talk about, you know, they know who you're talking about when you talk about, you know, part of the arena or Rachel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that. And so, you know, like, basically I was just kind of sitting around. I was like, I don't even want to live in this generation anymore. But then one day it just hit me. Like, I can obviously do something about it. So that's why I love that turning point because it gives me the tools I need to do something about it. Definitely. You know, like, one thing, one thing I love about being so outspoken about conservative politics is that, like, it allows me to post stuff on, like, social media, and it'll get my friends asking questions about it or Googling it, and then, then they can kind of know what I'm talking about. And so yeah. that's what I love. Like, I, I tallied it up, and I have, like, 2,383 followers between, like, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So, like, whenever I post anything, it reaches 2,000. 383 individuals and I love that and so like one person retweets it and that like triples my numbers and I love that. Mm-hmm. It's so easy like just to press the send button so as I prepare for my first year of college I knew especially at her Liberal school I knew that these next three years will be hugely instrumental in communicating all my conservative values and getting other students to be aware about the government and I'll be I'll be joining Turning Point's team in the fall so I'll be able to reach other schools like Clemson and USC, which are huge state schools in South Carolina, and so I'm so excited for that. Definitely. Um, So being from, you know, South Carolina, how do you feel about um, the shootings and everything going on um, there? I think it's so sad to me to to see that racism is still alive in the South and, you know, like, we're just, we're just praying for Charleston and everything. And, you know, the big issue, I think these days are with the Confederate flag and the, the names of the streets. A lot of people are protesting that down here. I'm actually, I'm at the beach right now, so I'm actually about, like, an hour away from Charleston. And oh, yeah, wow. Well. I mean, yeah, it's just sad. I mean, I don't, in regards to the roads, I don't think they should be changed. I think it's sad that they, they're... African Americans are reminded of this. But I think it's also part of history. But I understand the debate about the Confederate flag. I think that's kind of rubbing it in their face, and that's sad to me. So, what is your what is your um, view on the Confederate flag? Do you think we should take it down or? Yeah, you know, the whole it went up in the '60s during the Civil Rights era. And I feel like when they put it up, it was just kind of like in your face, the African American community there. If it, mm-hmm. if it had been since the Civil War up there, then I, I would say leave it because it's a huge part of history. But because it was put up in the 60s during the Civil Rights Movement, I think it needs to be taken down. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, we had Stephanie Conway on a little bit ago, and she she was talking about, you know, her her views on it and things like that and, and how everything's being turned into such a race issue, you know. Right. Uh, even even the thing with um, the pool party a couple weeks ago talking about, you know, all these things, and, and now, you know, Students and and people get so hyped up and so worried and, and freaking out and have such strong opinions when things initially come to the surface, but they don't stick around to follow up with what's actually happening to Right, right, and it's not based on facts either. Yeah, and so they have these strong opinions and they're like, oh, it's such a racist thing, you know, this white cop is, you know, throwing this you know, African American woman to the floor and, and it just looks so bad. But if you if you talk I posted a video on my Facebook, um, and it was this this woman who was attacked by one of them, you know, she wasn't even doing anything. She's a resident at this community and she was like her friend ran you know, one of the one of the African American students like ran after her friend who who was just walking and like pulled her hair and was like Fighting her, and she was like, "I live here, man. What? What the heck? You know?" But it's so frustrating because students don't students don't follow up with that. Right? They're just like, "Oh, yeah, that's, so I, bad. that's one of my biggest frustrations. Like, kind of with this generation is that they, they're easy to jump to conclusions, and I hate that because if you look into the facts, most of the time their conclusions are wrong, mm-hmm. and it just makes them look ignorant to the people that know the facts. Mm-hmm. Or if you even follow up with them, you're like, "Hey, well, you know, yeah, it looked really bad, and yeah, that did happen, but you know, it was it, it they it was instigated. They instigated this this whole thing. You know, they were they were fighting. They were using foul language in a in just a private residence. You know, and screaming. Right. Oh, and I feel well, like. That was cool. The same way with like the Michael Brown shooting, it's a tragedy and it it caused major race division. But when they go back and they look at the, the accounts, I mean, half the time it was it was complete. There was rumors, people testifying in police like rumors they had heard. And then when you look at the autopsy, there's no evidence of the yeah of the cop doing to him what the, people said they witnessed. I thought it was awful. Hmm. Definitely. Um, so we'll, we'll transition away from, you know, such, such a downer topics, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about four fun things. Um, again, in South Carolina, you have the most fantastic governor besides, you know, Mm -hmm. of course, Nikki Haley. Um, yeah, Nikki Haley. Have you, have you met her? Have you, um, seen her speak? Anything like that? You know, I've not met her, but I, I've, of course, watched videos of her. But actually, one of my favorite restaurants in Greenville, right down the road for Furman, she goes there whenever she's in Greenville. And there are lots of pictures on the wall. And that's my favorite thing to look at. Every single time I go in there is the pictures of Nikki Haley, with the owner. His name is Tommy, and he's the sweetest guy ever. It's called um, The Hog House. and It's on Poinsett Drive, and there's so many pictures of her in there, and I love it. That's awesome. Um, do you think she's going to announce her candidacy for possibly a vice president run, or do you think she's going to, you know, have any sort of say in 2016? Yeah, I would not be surprised if she announced a vice presidency, and I'd love to have her as vice president. I think a woman vice president would be great. Mm -hmm. So, either her or Carly Fiorina, I'm happy with. Definitely. Um, I think, you know, Crystal, our our national field director, is, is, uh, I don't want to say obsessed, but she, you know, she's a huge hero. To Crystal, and um, you know, a huge role model for being just a a kick ass woman in politics. You know, there's no other way to say it besides she's just she's badass and and she fights for what she wants, and she's so southern and sweet about it. And you're right. And at the same time, has, she's like an awesome mom too, mm-hmm. which I love. I think it's great to see so that women balance that. Yeah. And she's created so many jobs. I think she's fantastic. So many jobs, yeah. (laughs) So what was, um, tell us a little bit more about your scholarship um, that you won. Okay, so basically I wrote this essay. um, I think it was about 500 words. I sent it in, or maybe it was 1,000. I sent it in, um, I think in February. Completely forgot about it. Uh, And then two days before, I flew out to go to Chicago for the um, Young Women's Leadership Summit. I get a call from Crystal, the National Field Director, and she was like, yeah, like, you won. Like, do you remember that scholarship you wrote? I was like, "Uh, no, so I I actually had to go back and and read it. And, I mean, I was just totally blown away. And originally, I thought it was for $500, and I was so excited, I mean, just to get $500. And she told me I was going to be honored at this dinner. But then I get there, I find in Chicago, I'm talking to Charlie, Charlie Kirk the first night I'm there, and he's like, Yeah, like aren't you so excited to win twenty five hundred dollars? And my no. my mouth my mouth absolutely dropped because I was shocked that I mean it was like triple the amount that I, I thought it was gonna be. Yeah. So um so then I I get there and on the last night that we're there, you know, we go to that fundraiser and there's like five hundred donors and kids, like um, teenagers like throughout this this giant room at the Arlington racetrack. And so Charlie's like, yeah, you're going to come on stage. Like, you might have to say something very <laughs> last oh, minute. So um, he, he gets on stage and basically just says, like, we had lots of students write, turn in essays. And he brings up the people from Northern Illinois Patriots. And uh, they actually announced that there's a tie between me and another guy. So they actually decided to give away two scholarships because they couldn't decide. Wow. And of course, I get up there, and they give me my big check, and they make a little speech, and it was really awesome. I felt very honored that night. Guys, that was so cute. She was, like, walking around after this. She just <laughs> accepted her award. She was, like, still shaking, so excited. And she was like, so what do I do with this check? Like, do I, how do I even bring this back with me? It was so funny. And it was just so charming. It's so, like, Southern, you know, um, South carolina <laughs> And Crystal oh, is going to ship the big check to me, <laughs> that's awesome. so I get to keep it forever. That's awesome. Are you going to go in my your dorm room? room? It's definitely yeah. going in my room. Heck yeah. I'm actually yeah. going to helping tell it tell out all my this, door. Tell all those Furman, tell all this Furman uh, students you can just walk around with it. It's like a poster. <laughs> like, I'll make it <laughs> into a necklace. Yeah, don't mess just with it. me, Furman. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Um, well, thank you so much, Anna, for coming on the show. It's and thank been you for having me. Simply a pleasure, as always. Um, always. And uh... keep it, you know, keep standing up for conservative values at Furman. It's, it's going to be hard, but, you know, you have a huge team behind you and, and full support. So um, when we get back, we're going to be talking with um, Joanna Rodriguez, who is another Young Women Leadership Summit attendee, um, and we're really excited, so see you
3: then. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today.
4: This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory. Ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out.
0: This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
4: Hey, America, and welcome
1: back to our fourth episode of Turning Point USA Radio. I'm your host, Free Binder, and we are here with Joanna Rodriguez, who is um, a senior at Sam Houston State University studying criminal justice and is the president of the Turning Point USA chapter there, newly appointed, I may add. Congratulations. Um She's also involved with College Republicans, Zeta Tau Alpha, and in her free time, volunteers for AFP, and is currently interning for Senator Cruz's political campaign over the summer in Houston. We are so excited to have her on the show. Hey, Joanna. Hey, I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Awesome. Um, So tell us a little bit about, you were one of the speakers, or you introduced one of the speakers, Um, you know, tell us a little bit about your experience at the Young Women's Leadership Summit? Uh, Okay. I I got to introduce Lieutenant Governor Evelyn Sanguinetti. She's absolutely an amazing, incredible, powerful um, Latina uh, in politics, which is something that um, I really look up to. Uh, She's just an amazing person, and I think overall uh, being at the summit was such an eye-opening experience and so enlightening to see so many uh, girls my age who have the same values and believe in the same stuff as me and make me think, oh, my gosh, I'm not alone in this. Definitely. It was, it was a really, really great experience. That's awesome. So we've talked a little bit with, um, you know, different people on the show this morning um, or this afternoon, I mean, Um Kind of about Charleston, and um, we've we've had discussions you and me personally, um, you know, about this. And I think you have some really, really good points of view and, and a good spin on this. And um, what are your what are your thoughts about these shootings? Um, so definitely, it's a tragedy. Uh, I I'm praying and have all the people in Charleston in my thoughts. Um, it's really sad that some people. Uh, are so extreme as as if to want to hurt and murder and kill um, for something that shouldn't be done. Like, it's so ridiculous to me. Um, And I also think it's crazy how so many politicians make this into an issue about gun laws and um, there's race baiters who will make it into an issue of race when I think in reality we should look at each of these things as an individual issue and look at the person who's doing this. Um, this kid, Dylan Roof, uh, he wasn't educated. He came from a family of divorce and violence. He, his family says that he played video games and sold drugs, dropped out of school. He had issues, and he had expressed his want to do something violent to other people, and nobody stopped him. Mm-hmm. He, um, I think that now, the media takes this story and blows it up, and we're going to continue to hear about it on and on um, for a week, maybe longer, because it's what sells in the news. Uh, mm-hmm. Everyone's going to make it a racial issue, especially uh, younger teens, and is going to blow it up into this huge thing where we should be able to come together during this time. Um, minorities, whites, Hispanics, African Americans, This should be an experience to bring us together, like while wow, there's people that want to hurt us, we should come together in peace and show that we are so much more than what has happened in the past. Uh, we shouldn't uh-huh. be defined by this. Definitely, and um, you know, as as a minority Hispanic female, you know um, how how does that make you feel? Like, do you feel as as someone who's you know represents a minority? Like, it kind of almost you know, comes back to you and it's, it's oppressing you, you know, they're coming back. Granted, they're talking about African-Americans, but you know, do you feel like a victim in this? Do you feel like you're being taken advantage of? Um, I feel that in society today, I'm told that I'm a victim because I'm a woman. I'm told that I'm oppressed because I'm a woman. I'm told that I'm oppressed because I'm Hispanic, Latina immigrant to the U S and in reality, I'm out here and I'm doing so much things that are bettering myself, so I don't just sit here and play this victim card of I'm so helpless, please I need government assistance. I need uh, better opportunities when we came, my family's from Venezuela and we came to the US for better opportunities. And there's never been a day where I sit and I think I'm such a victim to my circumstances. I don't do that. Mm-hmm. I'm in school, I'm getting educated, I'm working, I'm doing internships, just so that I don't fit into that stereotype. And I think Definitely. that's what a lot of youth and um, minorities should be able to do. Don't sit here and play uh, a, a racial victim card, a gender victim card. Go out and do something better for yourself. Definitely. Definitely, and you're killing it. Um, you know, you're you're interning on the Ted Cruz campaign. You're, um, you know... Leading a chapter at, at Sam Houston State, taking over for Alicia, who you know we all know and love. Um, how are you? How are you handling all this? Um, it's definitely overwhelming. I feel like I uh, dove into a shark tank, um, <laughs> but it, it, it's it's really great because I've never been um, very much involved in school or politics, and all of a sudden I just woke up one day after meeting Alicia and I was like oh my gosh she's amazing I love Turning Point and I need to do something so much better than what I ever thought I could uh, accomplish and I think Turning Point is uh, just such an awesome organization to have on my back and say that I'm a part of and it really does uh, motivate me and inspire me whenever I see so many other people involved in this organization and um, politicians who even know about it is amazing (laughs) yeah um definitely so i I asked this question with stephanie and i'm going to ask it with you um several of the people coming out and talking about this whole confederate flag um, issue and um the candidates who are running you know um are making their voices heard on the issue um what what do you do you think that plays a role in, in your vote for 2016 or, or, your, you know, who you're looking into voting for? Um, I think with all due respect um, to the people that have been affected by this event, um, yes, you know, the state has tried so many times to take down the flags that being been shown, and it is becoming an issue with candidates and their stance on it, but I'm not going to be voting for a candidate because of his decision to take down a flag or not? I'm mm-hmm. really interested on them upholding the Constitution, of wanting smaller government, of not being corrupt, um, of wanting to do a different budget for the U.S. It's more economy based of what I'm voting on my candidate for, not these big social issues that the media has taken up. Definitely, um, that's a really that's a really good point that you bring up because you know, as a as someone in college you're a millennial, I'm a millennial, you know, our company is pretty millennial-focused. And so many of who we talk to, so many people, you know, it's all, they're all single-issue, social-issue voters. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, you're like, well, social issues you can talk on and on and on about, you know, all day long. But at the end of the day, what really matters and what really is going to drive our, you know, country you know, to safety or into the ground is is fiscal issues. And so it's really exciting to hear that you're voting on somebody based on that. (laughs) Right. A a lot of kids don't understand that um, because we are all from such different backgrounds. The U.S. is a melting pot of every religion and idea that one could have. So we're all going to be different. Even people all on the Republican Party, they have different views on abortion, on immigration, on gay marriage, we're never going to agree to disagree on these issues because it's something that people are very passionate about. But if we put that aside and we focus Mm -hmm. on things that are going to stimulate the budget and stimulate the economy, um, things that will help us in the end and in the long run as far as the economy goes, uh, everything else will kind of come into place after that, I think. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so what's your favorite, um, you know, you you were involved with the 10-week Big Government Sucks campaign that we did. Uh, we're doing kind of a revamping of that this next semester. What's kind of your favorite issue to talk about um, that we've discussed? Um, I think that the Big Government Sucks campaign is really uh, appealing to teens. Just because I remember when I was younger, um, Sucks wasn't really a good word to say. It, it was mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah, that stinks or whatever. So when I've been at um orientations, like organizational orientations at my school and parents mm-hmm. are there with their kids and they're looking at different stuff to be involved in, uh, just that huge sign that's a big dove suck attracts the parents who in turn yeah Oh my gosh, you should totally look into this organization. What are you about? And then you start mm-hmm. talking about it and how we want our government and how we don't want government to control our everyday life. And um, I think that that is one of the biggest, most eye-catching things um, with Turning Point. Definitely. Um, and you bring up a good point about reaching parents more than students. And at those orientation fairs, that's exactly almost, you know, they're bringing their parents around, and I remember mm-hmm. when I was a freshman, I brought my mom, and I was like, well, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do or what I'm going to get involved <laughs> in. Can you help me? And so we just, like, walked around, and that's how I got involved with, you know, my college newspaper and, you know, just what kind of led me to Turning Point. but um, right. So much of it is, is parent-driven, and, you know, yeah, Big Government Sucks is, is really, really cool for students, but it, it, it does. It applies to people of all ages. You know, I've mm-hmm. been to countless meetings, and people have, like, legitimately taken my Big Government Sucks buttons off of my blouse. And they're mm-hmm. like, I just love it so much. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> but it does. It applies to everyone, and, and that's what's so cool about it. Yeah, I love it. And then, of course, uh, other things that kids our age, they don't really care too much about politics, and if they do, like we said, it's the social issues. So um, whenever they see the poster of, like, the healthcare care game, or they see uh, Olivia Pope from Scandal, they're attracted mm-hmm. to it, and they sometimes learn stuff that they didn't even know that they agreed with. They consider themselves Democrats, liberals, etc. They come up, and they'll have a conversation with me or whoever else is tabling. They're like, oh my gosh, I totally agree with you on these issues. Their mind is just blown, and they have no idea that they've been supporting our cause all along. Hmm. Yeah, that's what's so awesome about what we do, and you know, I really wish that other other organizations could kind of learn from us and and use our tactics and stuff. Is you know, we're we're talking to people about issues that they're going to be voting on. We're not aligning ourselves with a party. We're not aligning ourselves with a candidate. You know, I think those that's where you get tripped up, and that's you know, you get thrown off course, but. But, you know, I think talking about issues, you can't go wrong. Right. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so what's what's on the horizon for you with Ted Cruz? We just have a couple more seconds. <laughs> right. Um, I am looking forward to staying at least in touch with them when I uh, start school back up. I'll be volunteering for them, moving down from intern to volunteer. But I want to be part of uh, the debates and see what happens in the caucus so um make some good connections off the campaign and look forward to what's going to happen in the future with that (laughs) awesome well thank you so much Joanna for coming on the show and thank you to all of our guests who are on with me today um talking about you know some really intense issues um I'm really excited for the rest of the week and I look forward to talking with you guys again next week have a great day guys